Hi there, I'm Jim. And I'm Claire. Let's talk teaching. Welcome to Let's Talk Teaching, a podcast from the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Technology here at Illinois State University. I'm Jim G, and joining me once again today, our director at CTLT, Dr. Claire LaMonica. Hi, Claire. Hi, Jim. Hey, welcome to summer. Yeah, it's beautiful outside. It is beautiful outside. Finally. In fact, in fact I haven't figured out how to record the podcast outside yet, but we will do that <laughs> one of these do days. That. We could have birds in the background. We could have birds, traffic. Actually, they're tearing down one of the apartments <laughs> next door. <laughs> so large machinery. <laughs> yeah, that whole thing. <laughs> hey, uh, today we are talking about another of the seven principles for good practice in undergraduate education. We are. Principle number two. And that is? Good practice encourages cooperation among students. So I'm one of those instructors who the first thing I think of is, well, I just assign them some group work. Yeah. Done. Done. I'm done. Yeah, there you go. I'm guessing yeah. it doesn't work uh, quite like uh, that. No, <laughs> not really. Well, I mean, I think that's where I think that's where all of us start. Yeah. You know, we, we all start with this sort of vague notion that having students work together would be a good idea. Mm-hmm. And so we think of something that we want to happen in our class. We say, yeah, I'll have them work on that in groups. Mm-hmm. And um, then and then we've got group work. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the first step. Right. You know, that's um, I think that realization that learning is a social act mm-hmm. is, um, you know, that's what that's that's the foundation for this. Gotcha. And so once you're there, then you're really ready to take off and try some try some new and different things. So before we get into new and different things, I did want to ask you cooperation. Mm-hmm. What is the difference between cooperation and collaboration? Yeah, that's a really great question because most of us, um, including um, sort of experts in the field, uh, conflate those two terms. Mm -hmm. And I I was noticing actually in the description in the booklet about the seven principles Mm -hmm. um, conflates the two terms. It it talks about cooperation and collaboration as if they were the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And and they're not. Um, So... um, I guess the easiest way to explain it is that technically, mm-hmm. cooperative learning has to do with students working together to learn a body of of uh, a body of information mm-hmm. or or um, sort of existing knowledge. Okay, um, and collaboration has to do with students working together to generate something new. So collaboration is a is a creative act. So they're technically they're 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 creating something that hasn't existed before. They may be generating new knowledge which may be not new for the whole world but new to them. Okay. Um, sometimes maybe new for the whole world. Um, certainly if they if you have students writing a paper together, you know that text that they create has never existed before, mm-hmm. could never exist under any other circumstances. So mm-hmm. They're, um, they're, they're actually involved in the process of creativity. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the, the basic uh, di- distinction between the two. When we think about cooperative learning, technically we're talking about a very specific uh, kind of structured activity okay. um, designed to help students learn a specific body of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, 
incorporating five kinds of key elements mm-hmm. um, that were described originally by some guys named Johnson and Johnson and Smith. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, interestingly enough, um, a long time ago. Um, well, I don't know, back in the '90s, so maybe not all that long ago. But um, those those essential elements are positive interdependence which means that every person in the group is committed to the success of every other person in the group. They are dependent on each other for, um, for that success. And they realize that. And they realize that's that. That's the important that's, part, they, too. That's, yeah. yeah, they know that. They, yeah. That's part of the deal. Promotive interaction, which means that they, um, they're committed to the idea of actively supporting and helping each other. Okay. So it's it's not a competitive situation at all. They are mm-hmm. invested in promoting each other's success. Mm-hmm. Individual and group accountability. So each individual student is held responsible for mastering the content, the knowledge, mm-hmm. whatever it is that they're supposed to be learning. Mm-hmm. Um, but the group is also held accountable for mastering the knowledge um, as a group and as a group of individuals. So they're all invested in mm-hmm. knowing it as a group and each of them knowing it individually. Um, and then it also has um, an element of learning how to work in a group. So students are consciously working on the development of teamwork skills. So helping students become better team members is probably a learning outcome for your class. It's 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 something that you are committed to doing. And you know, and there's that's a good thing. Sure. Because that's, you know, being a good team member is one of those soft skills that employers say that they're looking for in mm-hmm. college graduates. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're all like, oh, how do we do that? But this puts that the development of that um, ability in the syllabus, in mm-hmm. the learning outcomes. Mm-hmm. And then we can say, okay, so part of your part of what we're learning in this course is how to be good members of a team. And then that involves the fifth element, um, which is a certain amount of group processing. So the group, it's kind of metacognition about the group process. Oh, so, I see. So, so, so being aware of how the group is working right, as it's working. Be, be, it, you know, learning yeah. how to be good team members by thinking about their team membership sure. and the membership of others and, sure. and, um, and how the group worked or didn't work based on, mm-hmm. you know, not just its, um, its ultimate outcome, it's, it's deliverable if you would. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but also on, um, whether people really learned and, yeah. and whether they learned to play a particular role in a group or whatever. Right. Um, so, you know, group work is something that we'll be talking about frequently on our on our podcast we have talked about it before this is kind of my thing well it is kind of your thing you're you you mean you really do know your stuff about it and it's something i think that that a lot of instructors still struggle to get past that basic uh, it's a group of some you have to give a you, you work on this paper together that's yeah. Sort of thing. yeah you know and and so you you went through and listed off a lot of things and we'll link to some resources that help enumerate that again right. um so for our kind of our high altitude view of, of <laughs> things today um when you're talking about 
this idea of, uh, for example, group accountability is something that I've always struggled with when I have done group assignments. And this is, again, working in courses that are very regimented in their structure, gen ed Mm -hmm. courses where uh, a group assignment is part of the, you know, every instructor gives them a group uh, speech to do. Um, But even then, that whole accountability thing is is a bit of a challenge. So how how do you get over that without making it a competitive well, you know, that's that's part of helping the students learn how to make a group work, uh-huh. because a, a group in a in a um, in a cooperative group, right. or even a collaborative group, mm-hmm. um, students aren't in competition with each other. They are all invested in um, accomplishing the goals that have been set for the group, mm-hmm. and so they um, they are accountable as a group for the final product, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. Um, And each student individually is accountable for contributing to that ultimate product. I see. Um, So, and, and, you know, and sometimes they're all, so I I have uh, worked with people who, um, who use very successfully, who use this idea of cooperative learning very successfully. And, um, Tests are taken as a group. You know, students are assigned to work in a group to help each other learn this body of knowledge, whatever we Mm -hmm. want to call that. And then they take a test together and they, you know, they sink or swim based on their uh, and um, based on their Mm -hmm. ability to do that as a group. There always has to be some individual accountability, too, because we're teaching them to work in groups. Right. And so they're not. And so that, you know, they need to understand that the group isn't going to function well without everybody contributing. So in the challenge I've always run into is when when I ask students to grade each other. So part of the grade is the is and that and that is something that it's either you have someone who is really just had a bad experience maybe i don't yeah. know exactly what motivates it and they are really harsh or um they've created this sort of mutually assured destructive yeah. pact um <laughs> and if you give me good grades i'll give you good grades yeah. and we've yeah. talked about that a little bit before so i you know um so and i and i think it probably has to do like you said with more about how the, the assignment is structured and how the assessment process is structured right so right. um I was actually reading some sort of recent, more recent research on this re- recently. <laughs> well, wow. Yeah. Um, speaking of meta. Yeah. Um, but, um, and students, um, students are more satisfied with their group experience when they are given the chance to evaluate each other based on specific criteria that they're all familiar with. Okay. So um, when I use, and, and I tend to use collaborative learning more than, than cooperative learning just because of the nature of my discipline. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when I start a long-term high stakes group project, mm-hmm. so my students are going to spend three weeks, five weeks longer, however, um, writing up in the collaborative production of a text. Okay. Um, one of the first things we do before they ever start doing their research or doing their writing, whatever, is I put them to work establishing the criteria by which they will evaluate themselves and each other in terms of their group participation. Their so contributions they've, so to they've the established the... They establish the criteria and they are, and I hold them accountable for evaluating 
themselves and their peers using those criteria. So it might be different criteria in each group, although they don't usually end up turning out to be very different. Mm -hmm. And and they don't know that's what they're doing when they start. Right. So I usually start by saying, hey, spend two minutes writing about, you know, what it takes to be a really great group member. Mm -hmm. You know, if you were going to devise the perfect member to work with in your group, what Mm -hmm. would that look like? Mm -hmm. And then I say, okay, now let's take another, you know, 60 to 90 seconds to write about the nightmare group member. Mm-hmm. You don't want this person in your group. And what they're really doing is they're creating the And what the they're steps really doing the, is the, identifying the their criteria. So yeah. then and they and then they work together with their group that they're going to work with on this long-term project. Uh-huh. And they they essentially deve- now you know it may not be a really well-developed rubric, but it's basically what do we have to do to get an A? What could cause us to get an F? What's good enough? What's yeah. satisfactory? What's yeah. a C kind? What does a C contributor look like? Mm-hmm. And then you know the the Bs and the Ds. They can kind of you know yeah, fill that out. But do that over, yeah. yeah. But then at you know at various points in the project, probably midterm and and then at the end at least they use those criteria to evaluate their own work right. and to evaluate the work of their peers. But they have to write a justification for me based on those criteria. Okay. So um, I I think that, that's I think that's our tip of the day, as it were. Yeah, I think yeah. no, I'm really really because yeah. I'm thinking in the, as I'm listening to you talk about this, I'm thinking I'll be teaching again hopefully this fall. It is going to be more of a it's a it's that performance class, so it's more of a collaborative mm. sort of situation. Mm-hmm. And I did try one of the big high stakes assignments. We we did I did have them. We as a class came up with how are we going to evaluate this? Sure. But what I think I want to do is add that portion of okay as they reflect upon, upon, okay, what, what was the group experience like, you know, yeah. because one of the lessons yeah. I, I try to impart is to have them appreciate how much time it takes to actually do good performance, despite this podcast, yeah. how much effort it takes yeah. in planning to do this. Um, and, uh, Don't let our secrets out of the Yeah, bag. I should. Oh, sorry. Did I do that again? Yeah. We spent weeks. <laughs> right. Um, anyway, so, but the idea being, um, yeah, no, so this is this is something I can take away. Yeah, so. well, good. I'm glad. Excellent. Yeah. So maybe a final question. Um, I'm going to ask you to take off your teacher hat, and it's it's kind of the same hat, but take off your teacher hat, put back on your... And leave my headphones on, right? Leave your headphones <laughs> okay. on, right, yeah. No, and put on your professional development hat, your, okay. your you know, your your consultation hat. Okay. When, when people come to you and have issues with um, any sort of cooperative or collaborative aspect that they're they're aspiring towards in their teaching um any any group work problems or anything like that what are the most common things you hear and what's some of the advice that you give them well i think the most frequent thing i hear is that they're getting pushback from their students their students say they you know they don't want to do a group project they don't like group projects they don't like being graded on a group project and I think that's perfectly understandable. By the time students get to us um, at the university level, they have participated in a lot of group projects, mm-hmm. and some of those have been very badly designed, sure. and they have resulted in bad experiences. And you know, we we're not dumb animals. You know, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're pretty smart. We learn to avoid. You know, we we avoid the repetition of bad experiences. Sure. So. Sure. Um, when they come having had a bad experience, that's, you know, I sort of suggest um, getting that out of the way also early. Mm. So I have another activity that I do where I say, um, where I have them have their students brainstorm a list of um, bad stuff that happens when you work in a group. 
you know, so, and they talk about, oh, you know, Mm -hmm. I had this guy who never did anything and he got the same grade we did, you know, or sometimes they'll, they'll say, well, we had this, this girl in our group and she wouldn't let anybody do anything because it was all about her and her grade. So she just like took over and tried to do the whole thing. They'll come up with a a list. Those are probably the two most common things, but they'll, they'll come up with a long list. And then, and then I put them to work, um, identifying strategies for dealing with those situations. If this happens in this project, right. What will you do as a group? Now, when I did this with ninth graders, they'd say, oh, we'll go to the teacher. <laughs> I'd say, yeah, thanks a lot, but no. <laughs> you know? And, you know, so the rule yeah. was that they had to have three strategies that they could try before they came to the teacher. Uh, okay. And then if none of those strategies worked, then they could come to me and, and I could intervene or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, so I think just there's something cathartic even about getting those out on the table yeah. and then the idea that you're actually trying to help them identify strategies for overcoming those issues, I think they go into it feeling a lot better. So uh, this will be the final question, and it's a procedural one. What would you recommend? Allow students to choose their own groups? Assign groups based on some insight that we have as as the instructor, as the teacher? Or random.org, you know? (laughs) Uh, And I've done all three. Yeah. Me too. uh, uh, What do you find works best? Well, you know, and the research on that is really mixed. So um, there, there are some. There's been some research done that said, oh, you should definitely assign groups. And there's other research that says, oh no, you know, you should definitely let students choose their own groups. I think the key is the kind of group and the purpose of the group. So I, um, so I've done different things at different times. So when, um, when it's just a. a, uh, zero history, quick, you know, we're going to do this in class. Everybody's going to work in a group. Sometimes I let them, you know, and low stakes, zero uh-huh. history, low stakes. I'll say, hey, you know, pick a group. What usually happens is they just turn to the three people closest to them, sure. you know, and then that's, sure. that's yeah. their group. Um, sometimes when I'm doing something like that, if my goal is to get them to know each other mm-hmm. be, in preparation for a longer to stakes group, then I will put the groups together, trying to make sure that different pe- everybody works with everybody else mm-hmm. before they go into the situation where they're going to pick people. Mm-hmm. For a for a long term high stakes project, I use um, what I call a, a modified sociometric approach. So I have each student give me the names of if it, if it's going to be a five person group, I say give me the names of four people in the class you'd like to work with. Mm-hmm. I am not guaranteeing that your group is going to be you and those four people, Mm -hmm. but I will guarantee that you and at least one of those people will be in your same group. Mm -hmm. And so then I take all of those lists away and I spread them all out all over the dining room table and I, you know, make piles and tear things up and draw lines and things like that. And, you know, and then, and I come up with a set of groups where Everybody is in a group with at least one other person that they identified. Wow. And so, um, and it's very interesting. It, it seems to work pretty well. Okay. I also, what, what I find when I do that is that they en- tend to end up in um, fairly homogenous groups in terms of um, grades. So I, I'll end up with A's and B's kind of working together and, mm-hmm. and B's and C's kind of working together and... Um, and I think that's a good thing because Vygotsky, 
Mm-hmm. So, you mm-hmm. know, I, I then they're if, if I put the A's and the F's together or the A's and the D's together, they're going to hate each other mm-hmm. and it's going to be a miserable experience for mm-hmm. everybody um, because and, they just don't they, they can't relate. But, you know, but if I have the A's and the B's working together, you know, the B's will see the A's as somebody they could be. In other words, they're closer. They're, they're kind of cl- closer. It's, it's, in, it's within yeah. their zone of proximal development. Right. So. Yeah. Right. OK. Wow. That was a great answer to what I thought was just a simple little question. <laughs> I, I bet you thought that was going to be really short. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I think it's worth taking the time to experience that sort of stuff. I mean, uh, this reinforces to me how little I know about the the thinking behind group work. I think I stumble on success occasionally, um, <laughs> but sure I, but I think do. it's but I think it's stumbling. Also, while you were talking about your dining room table and all that, I was having. <laughs> I was having unpleasant memories of when I used to have to schedule a department of 35 people, uh, the the weekly work schedule. So hats off to you uh, (laughs) for doing that. Well, I don't do it with a group of with a class of 125 students. I got to tell you that. So and do you by the way, do you find um, in all seriousness, when you do that sociometric sort of look at it, Mm -hmm. um, do you get are they able to name four other people in the class? Oh, well, yes, because. I don't ever do a high stakes long term project. Um, that's always within the uh, within the context of a class that's been designed to, to build towards that. Okay. So we've done a lot of zero history, right. low stakes group right. work, um, and as I said, I'm trying to get them to know as many other people right. as they can. Also, you know, it's all part part of building a learning community. Now I now I have to say, okay, so here's the caveat. Yeah. I don't typically teach classes that are larger than 30, maybe 40 people at right. the largest. When I teach a writing class, it's going to have 23. When I teach mm-hmm. a methods class, it's going to have maybe 25, maybe, mm-hmm. you know. So mm-hmm. I, I I have not um, tried this with large lecture groups. Sure. So sure. with large lecture classes. Right. Yeah. So, well, and um, I'm sure we'll explore that topic in a little bit more detail, too, down the road. In fact, I've been talking to some of our colleagues on cl- campus who, because you and I both, People as we've talked about. People not me. <laughs> well, you know, you, yeah. and I, you and I both have talked before on this on this podcast that we are of that size class. Those are usually the classes that we teach. I mean, I had 14 this last semester. Wow. Yeah, it was a different experience. Yeah. Um, it was great. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> and not just because it was it's not a matter of workload. It's that we were able to to do some things a little bit yeah. more, uh, a little differently. But anyway, um, it, my hope is that uh, this summer we'll get some of our colleagues on that teach larger classes and they can share their experience yeah, too. Because so. we've got some people who do great work mm-hmm. in those large classrooms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Claire, thank you so much. Thank you. And that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Let's Talk Teaching. You can find out more about our show by going to our website, ctlt.illinoisstate.edu, and click on the podcast link in the corner of the page. For Claire LaMonica and all of my colleagues here at the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Technology, until we talk again, happy teaching. <laughs>